Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Amen. Well, I want to share something with you today, and uh, I believe it'll help heal things of the past, but also help you for the present and for the future. Tell the person next to you, listen carefully, I believe this is for you. Did they smile? Because as you're talking in, they're thinking, yeah, yeah, right back at you. So 2 Kings, and let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that always has life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps the word to be real and relevant. We don't want just a memory of what we heard in the past. We want a deposit in our hearts that continues to grow and increase. So we thank you for wisdom and understanding that comes through your word. And then you show us how to walk it out. Not only do we have knowledge, but we have wisdom for the application in everyday life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1. I have a story I want to read and then we'll go from there. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. How many know that's a bad day? I mean, you know, you can be late on your car payment. They can come and want to take your car. You can be late on your house payment, and they may, well, you may lose your house. But when they come to take your boys... Now, maybe some of you have prayed for someone to come do that. I don't know. That's not a good prayer. Uh, I I have two sons. I was tempted with that a few years ago, but so far, so good. Uh, But the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be slaves. So Elijah said to her, I love what he says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, hello. Isn't it obvious? I got a problem. I want you to help fix it, which is why most people come to their pastor. I have a problem. Pastor Rusty, fix this. Some people have taken 15 years to create a problem, and then they want us to fix it in the next 25 minutes. Well, that's not exactly how it works. One of the things I've learned in my church, uh, I'm not speaking for Pastor Rusty, so please don't judge him based on what I say. But when it comes to counseling and talking to people and they say, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. I've got an issue. I've got a problem. Or they call up and so-and-so wants counseling. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Meet me after the service. Talk to me after the service and we'll set something up. So I wait and I don't see him after the service. And a couple of days later, I get a phone call. Pastor, I really, I really need to get together with you. I've I got an issue. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Were you, were you there Sunday? No, I wasn't able to make it. I said, okay, this Sunday... You know, we have a Saturday night. So we have five services, Saturday night and four on Sunday. Whatever service you're coming to, uh, except the Tagalog service, you know, I'll be there. You come up to me, we'll talk a little bit, and then we'll set up a time. And, and I don't see him the next couple of days. I get a call and finally I have to say, look, if you're not going to come get in the presence of God, begin to worship, allow the Spirit of God to move upon you. And if you're not going to come and hear the Word, then if, if coming into the service and hearing the word and worship, if that's not valuable to you, then me just sitting down and talking to you may not help you either. We'll set our appointment when you come to the service. That was for someone in here today. You just go ahead and take that one. So Elijah said to her, what do you want me to do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, well, your maidservant has nothing in the house, but I do have a a jar of oil. When you look that up, it's a very small flask of oil. Then he said, well, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons and who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her sons, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, well, there's not another vessel. Then the oil ceased. 
Well, then she actually didn't know what to do next. So she came and told the man of God, all right, this is what, this is what happened. This is what we did. He says, well, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your son shall live on the rest. Now, she comes to him with a very real problem. I know the Bible is full of stories of very real problems. Very real people, very real problems, very real answers. And so she comes to him, but I want you to realize he tells her what to do, then tells her to go home. He gives her a word and tells her to go home. The ultimate goal of God is not to get you in church. The ultimate goal of God is once you get in church is to get a word in you, you can take home with you. Because what he's going to do in your life for the majority of the time, it's not going to happen in here. It's going to happen when you go home. What are we taking home? What words do we hear? What wisdom do we get? What instruction? What leading? What are we learning that we can take home? Because she comes looking for provision and the prophet is connecting her with the provider. She comes wanting him to provide an answer or to do something for her. And he gives her instructions of something that she can take home. Let me tell you. You come and you receive the wisdom of God, the Word of God, learn how to follow the leading of the Spirit of God, and you'll learn what to take home with you because the majority of what God is going to do in your life is not going to do it in here. He's going to do it when you go home. Because if you expect God to do everything in here, then you're going to expect Him to do everything mostly through Pastor Rusty or Leah. So you're going to put the responsibility on what they're going to do for you instead of what they can speak into your life that you can learn to watch God do for you. Because our victory and our strength and our joy and our provision and our abundant life is not going to manifest on Sunday morning. It's going to manifest on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday when we go home. It's when we go home, we act like the husband we need to be. I mean, you don't usually act like a donkey during the church service. You can pretty much control your attitude and your temper in church. It's when you get home, you need some help. Come on, somebody give me an amen. Now, use the word donkey because that's more acceptable. But you know what I wanted to say. It's a little bit shorter word that... Yeah. I'm in Texas. It's allowed. I'm behaving. Yeah. You can come to church and treat your wife nice. Come on. You can, you can rein it in for two hours. But it's when you get home. Tell the person sitting next to you. I knew this, well, just look at him and say, this is for one of us. (laughs) Come on, don't just stare at me. Tell the person next to you. Don't be stubborn. Yeah, well, we'll exempt the pastor and his wife. So she's looking for resources and provision And Elisha is directing her to the source and to the provider. That's the key right there. Sometimes we're running around just looking for resources and provision. And let me tell you, your resource and provision will come from the source. Get connected to the source. Get connected to the provider. Get to know the provider. Stop looking for every person you meet to become your source. Amen. Her first response when Elijah asked her, what do you have? She says, well, I I don't have anything, but but I do have a a small jar of oil. Her first response was to ignore her own oil. I have nothing except. And the thing is that her miracle was hidden in the things she almost did not mention. And sometimes it's not God giving you something you don't have. It's him pointing out what you do have that you don't recognize or you minimize or you judge it as insignificant. And what you minimize, you fail to recognize. 
And what you don't recognize, you will somewhat tolerate and you will never celebrate. And what you fail to celebrate will usually exit your life because it has become insignificant in your life. And we can use that a lot in our relationships and in our marriages. The lie of the devil is to convince you that you are insignificant and cause you to see others just like that. Because it's rare that you're going to give to other people what you don't give to yourself. If you have no honor, if you walk in consistent fear and insecurity uh, in your own life, if you're not happy with you, you're going to be constantly happy and judgmental and critical of other people because you haven't learned how to walk in a self-confidence and a self-value in your own life. And it's very rare you're ever going to love other people more than you love yourself. You know, that's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, when you begin to love him and find out he, how much he loves you, now you have the capacity to, uh, to love other people. You can't allow your past hurts, pains, disappointments, and discouragements to define you. And too many times we, we allow that to happen. We need to get a word from the Lord that speaks to our situation. Trust it. Obey it. Don't ignore it. Don't delay it. Don't minimize it. Ephesians 3.20, I've been reading the Passion Translation lately. I really like that translation. And uh, Passion Translation, Ephesians 3.20, says, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you. Now, of course, in context in Ephesians 3.18, 19, 20, uh, 21, it is talking about the depth, the length, the width, and the height of the love of God. But when it comes to the love, if we would just get a revelation of how much we were loved, let me tell you, our lives would be totally, totally different. If you realize how loved you were, you'd never never have any kind of fear. Imagine what kind of life you could live if there was no fear. Imagine how you'd treat others if there was no fear. Imagine if, if there was no fear and there was, and, and you walked in true love, you wouldn't have place for offense. The offense would never find place in you. You'd be kind, you'd be generous without any kind of concern or worry about what was going to come back to you because you would give out of a fullness of love and significance. See, insecurity steals significance. And when you walk in insecurity and you feel insignificant, the last thing you want to do is make somebody else feel significant because you're trying to give something you don't even have yourself. That's why I love Ephesians 3.20. And and, and so in the context, as I go back to that, never doubt, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this and understanding and bringing to pass of of how loved you are and, and, and the security and the strength that you can have. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. That's why I believe your building here, God's looking down and he's going, no big deal. We can do that. I don't think he's worried. I don't think he's concerned. I don't think Gabriel or Michael or Jesus or the angels are going, where are we going to get all that money? No, I don't think it bothers him. I believe he has more than enough. Come on, say more than enough. And see, that's why when you're a part of what God is doing, then you can say, well, as it is in this house, so it is in my house. Because if he'll do it in this house, I know he wants to do it in my house. Why would your house be any different? Amen. So she's got a small jar of oil, a small flask of oil. And the thing is, the prophet gives her directions and had to be poured out by her, not the prophet. There's just a little detail sometimes we miss. See, he tells her what to do, but he tells her to do it. He doesn't say, well, go get it, bring it back to me, put it in my hands, and boy, something really good is going to happen. He gives her a word. Just gives her a word. Go home. And actually, he gives her a ridiculous word. When you look at it, in fact, there's a lot of things in the Bible that really seem kind of ridiculous. You look at it and going, really? He gives a word and tells her what to do. See, it had to be poured out by her, not the prophet. There's a lot of things that you'll hear have to be poured out by you, 
not rusty. The miracle comes in the pouring. The miracle comes in the giving. The miracle comes in the obeying. Take natural things like in John chapter 2 where Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, first of all, God never asks you to do a miracle. Never does. Old Testament, New Testament. He never asked Moses to do a miracle. They're facing the Red Sea. He said, just lift up your staff. Come on, you can lift up a stick. That ain't hard. Strike the rock. That's not a miracle. Second time he told him to speak to it. He didn't listen. He struck it. Got him in a lot of trouble. Kept him out of the promised land. Can you strike a rock? Yeah. Can you talk to a rock? Yeah. Some of you have talked to your car, your refrigerator, your washing machine. It breaks. You cuss it out. Come on. Come on. Raise your hand. Let's be honest. Yeah. Is that a miracle? No. Can you do it? Yeah. Jesus said, okay, take that water, pour it into there. That doesn't take a miracle. Take it out and go give it to the governor of the feast. That doesn't take a miracle. It just takes an obedience. And he takes water and he turns it into wine. In fact, when you look at how many, Jesus made a couple hundred gallons of wine. I look at, now if you ever slow down and really read the statistics of there, I'm thinking, Lord, that's a lot of wine. They get, when they're already full, he brings out the best and there's more than enough. I don't know if the groom kept it or if they just got, what did they do with all that wine? So they finished the marriage, the beginning. This husband is able to show to his wife and his family at the beginning that when we come together, we're going to begin with the best and we're going to start out with more than enough. Which is a picture, if, if the husband and the wife is a picture of Jesus in the church, he says, listen, this is how we're going to start out, and, and we're going to start out with the best and more than enough. But it didn't take a miracle to make the wine, it just took some obedience. I believe there's more inside of you than you give God credit for. I believe that there's more that He wants to do in your life and with your life, but what happens is you look at yourself and you minimize and things you don't recognize or you look at yourself as insignificant or you look at it as a situation as insignificant. I, I forgot to give a picture to the video guy, but if I was to show you our wedding picture, you would look at our wedding picture and think, oh, dear God, how long after your wedding was it before you got saved? No, I was saved a couple years before. It just took a couple years for my eyes to get open. And... Uh, my first year at Rama, I looked like Carlos Santana. In fact, it was my class of Rama that the next year they changed all the hair rules. They had a whole lot of rules the next year after our class. Everything changed. And if you were to look at me on the outside and, and, and someone is going to say, this brother in the future is going to do this and this and this and this, you'd say, yeah, right, mm -hmm, sure. There ain't no way. It's kind of like David when, when the Spirit of God spoke to Samuel and said, fill up your horn with oil and go to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons as the next king of Israel. So he goes to Jesse's house and he brings out Eliab, which is the biggest, the tallest, the oldest, best looking brother. And Samuel looks at him and goes, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And then the Lord said, no, it's not him. I've rejected him. I don't look as ma at man like you do. You look on the outside, but I, the Lord, I look at the heart. We look on the outside and go, yep, yep, that guy looks anointed. Well, he's big, he's tall, he's good looking. No, 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 he's not the one. So they bring in the next brother. No, he's not the one. The next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. Eight brothers. And finally they go, is there not another? Because each one, God said, nope, 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 nope. Well, is there not another? Well, well, this is all, oh, well, well, wait. There's David. But come on. The dude smells like sheep. He's the youngest. He's the smallest. He's skinny. He's out there. David wasn't invited. He wasn't even thought about until the prophet goes, 
Is this all there is? There was no consideration to the process, not his brothers and not his dad. He said, all your sons. Yeah, I got another one. So we need to hurry up and send for David. No, because forget it. Because one of these boys is going to get picked before we get to David. Because we know it's not David. Wasn't considered until he goes, is there not another? There has to be a question. There has to be a search. Oh, yeah. There's David. As soon as David walks in, God says, that's the one. I'm sure his brothers looked at him like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so relax. Today, you qualify. <laughs> if anybody's ever looked at you and thought, you've got to be kidding me. I believe they thought that about me. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they thought that about Rusty. Anybody from Galveston that knows Rusty, when they hear what he's doing, they've got to be going, you've got to be kidding me. I think God loves the, you've got to be kidding me type people. Because they're wild, they're crazy, they're ridiculous, they're not afraid of anything. And in the natural, they don't have whatever it takes for the kingdom. It's all got to be the grace of God. There's nothing in the natural we can really depend on. So when God calls us, it's all God. And God thinks, without me, he's in trouble. God goes, let's do this. I mean, think about it. Jerusalem is called the city of David. Jesus is referred to as the son of David. And yet David wasn't even called. There's a lot in that. When we compare our supply and our shortage, we declare, well, it's not enough. Sometimes we compare our desire and our ability and we look at it and we declare, it's not enough. Amen. So when, as you begin to deal with a problem, you look at a situation and you get a direction from God, whatever your situation is, it's not nothing. If God is in it, don't limit it. The Bible says with God... Nothing is impossible. Say, with God, nothing. Now, if you look that up in the Greek, it's nothing. You know what it means? Nothing. That there is nothing that exists that God is not greater than. There is no impossibilities when God is involved. I mean, you can go back to Genesis. Think, he creates, he, he creates dirt. Then he fashions dirt and all he does is breathe into dirt and creates a man. He breathes into dirt and creates the first man. Look at all the people around you. We just good looking dirt. If he can breathe upon dirt, and create a person, he can breathe upon any situation you have and turn it around. Doesn't matter what it is. All you need is God to breathe on it. And anytime he speaks a word into your situation, he has just brought his breath by his word and his spirit into your situation. And whatever needs to be changed, fixed, restored, or recreated, he can do it. It may not be very much what you have, but it's not nothing. If you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, it's not much, but it's not a nothing. It's still something. Mustard seeds are small. In fact, you put a mustard seed in your pocket, you could lose it in the lint. You'd have to dig through all your pocket. You wouldn't be able to find it. You'd have lint and cotton and everything. You, you wouldn't be able to find it. Now you put an avocado seed in there, it'll stick out like a tennis ball. You put a peach seed in there, it's significant. You put an avocado seed in there, you'll lose it. And yet an avoca- a, a mustard tree is three to four times bigger than an avocado tree. So don't limit what's locked inside the seed because of the container it's in. So you look at the seed and it's minimized and it's insignificant. And you think, what could possibly be in this? Well, you have no idea what God put in there. So don't judge the container because God puts things in, puts inside of things. They're not to be measured by the container. This woman has a small 
jar of oil. He said, I want you to go home. This is what I want you to do. Seems a bit ridiculous. Let me get into another ridiculous story first. In fact, I was telling Shadi this morning, I'm going to use this story when we get home in our pastor's conference in a couple of weeks. Jesus has been teaching all day long. The disciples come to him and said, Lord, you need to send the multitude away uh, because it's, it's late and, and they're hungry. And he says, will you feed them? You expect us to spend all this money and feed these people? He says, well, go and see what you have. So they come back with a little boy's lunch. Because basically they have nothing. And they come back with a lunch, a little boy's lunch. Now, re- regardless of what ridiculous theologians might say, you know, that, that the fish in those days were big. This guy is not carrying a yellow fin tuna. It's a little boy's lunch. I don't think he's carrying two 30-pound redfish. It's a little boy's lunch. So now let's use your imagination, okay? How big do you think those fish are? About like this? Two pe- Come on, let's be realistic. He's not carrying two fish this size. Jesus was not in Texas. Contrary to whatever Bible you might be reading. In Texas, everything is big. I understand that. The Sea of Galilee is not located near Galveston. Amen. So let's get it back to reality here. How big, Rusty, how big do you think they were? About like this. About like, two, are we in agreement? Yeah. Outside of our Texas brother here. <laughs> I right, said, so got two fish about like this. So G, they bring him to Jesus. He takes it, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And he distributes to the disciples. How many disciples? Oh, come on, that's not a hard question. <laughs> Judas is still there, all right? You got 12 disciples, you got two fish. So one fish gets broken into how many pieces? Six. Help me, Jesus. Come on, I got to get through this message here. You're messing it up. Two fish, 12 disciples. So you take one fish, you break him into six pieces. You take the other fish, you break him into six pieces. So you got a fish this big. Right? You break them into six pieces, you get a piece about this big. So, you get a piece this big and a piece of bread. And Jesus puts it in your hand. Now, it says they fed 5,000 men. Now, we know there's more women in church than men. And we know that there were children there too because they just ripped off a lunch from a little boy. Right? So, I would say there's about 10,000 people there. At least. So, I'm going to pick on Peter, because I like Peter. And so Jesus blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them, puts it in their hand, and says, go feed them. So Peter and each of the disciples has their section, and there could be anywhere from eight, nine hundred to a thousand people, maybe eight hundred people in a section. And Peter looks and goes, whoa, John, bro, I got a head. What am I going to do with a fish head? John's over here and goes, man, shut up. I got the tail. You got a piece of fish this big. A nugget. A nu- you got a nugget. <laughs> and you got to feed 900 people. And I'm sure they're looking at Jesus like, really? Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Go on, boys. Go do it. You got to be kidding me. You want me to step out. And feed all these. It's easy for you. You pray and sit back there and you send me. I'm the one that's going to look like a fool. 
here, just take, just here, just pinch a little piece off. Don't take too much now. I only got this much, so. See, I'm helping you. I'm enlightening you this morning to help you as you read your Bible. Really? Yeah, go on. I'm going to show you when, when I have blessed it and spoken over it. Don't limit. See, the multiplication did not happen when it left Jesus' hand. The multiplication happened when it left the disciples' hand. The multiplication did not happen when Elijah spoke. The multiplication happened when the widow acted. There was no multiplication of the fish and the bread until it was shared. There was no multiplication of the oil until it was poured. And there's a lot of times you'll get an instruction that comes by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, when you come to church. See, you'll receive things in here that you are to take home and to learn to walk out in your marriages, in your homes, and in your businesses. And it's not until you share, until you give, until you pour, that the multiplication begins to to manifest because... Pastor Rusty's part is already over. He's delivered the word. He shared something by the direction of the Holy Ghost. It may be a prophetic word. It may be a written word. But you have direction from God. But all of that's never going to begin to multiply until you step out and stop minimizing or looking at something that seems insignificant. What is this gift really going to do for the building? What is this forgiveness really going to do? I'm going to forgive them. But what is this prayer really going to bring to pass? Well, nothing if you don't give it, if you don't share it, if you don't pour it, if you don't release it. It'll stay a fish head. And after they fed the multitude, it says they gathered 12 baskets of rim. They finished with more than they started. How does that happen? How does water become wine? How does dirt become a man? Because you have the word of God. You have the breath of God. And from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, it has not ceased. And these are the days in which we live. You come to church, you've got a problem, you've got a pain, you've got a hurt, you've got a lack. You will receive a word. You will receive direction. But it's something that you have to take home. It may not just get fixed here. It's not meant to fix everything here. You take it home. Christianity is something we live out. We walk out. We demonstrate it out. We take it into our community. And you don't just demonstrate it at home. You demonstrate it at work. Because Jesus needs to be seen. He needs to be felt. He needs to be heard in the community. Not just in church. The greatest demonstration of God's working and His power is where the greatest need is. And that should not be in our services. It should be out in a world where people are hurt, wounded, blind, confused, and they need Jesus. So we take it home. Say, take it home. Now I like going to grocery stores. Most people like going to malls and looking around. But, you know, and you can go to a grocery store, I mean a a mall, and you maybe can go and you can window shop. Some people like that. Me, that just frustrates the fire out of me. Why do I want to go look at all the stuff I want to buy, would like to buy, but can't buy? Why torment myself? No. If I'm going to go to the store, I want to bring something home. Now, I can understand that in the mall. Now, I am praying for revelation for my wife. Because I was looking at the 2019 Harleys. And that is window shopping. Not only window, I went to the Harley store and then I, every day I go online and I just look. I'm getting pregnant with a Harley. So, you know, I, 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 can, I can do that. I can go and look and dream and pray and believe. There's one place I do not go window shopping. That's the grocery store. Can you imagine going, I don't know what, you have Kroger's here? 
Can you imagine you're going to Kroger's with a grocery shop, you walk around for two hours and you walk out with nothing? Looking at all the food you wish you could eat. I mean, take something home. Look at the person next to you say, take something home. Every time you come into this building, every time you come into this service, you take something home. You're not here window shopping. You're not here to be entertained. You take something home. You look at something and say, I need that. I need that. Yeah, I need that. I need to eat on that. I need to get some of that. And you take a basket load home. You put it in there. And little by little, you begin to feed on it and eat it and make it a part of you. Since the enemy can't take what God gave you, he wants you to look at it as what you have and as who you are as insignificant. That's why you have to go beyond reason and natural understanding. With God, with God, nothing is impossible. God looks at your impossible and he calls it, that's nothing. We can do this. We can do this. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Most people, the greatest problem that they have is they get stuck in their understanding. They get stuck in the rationalization of their mind. You're trying to rationalize it. You're trying to figure it out. And there's things that God wants to do. You just can't figure it out. So, well, I don't understand how he's going to do it. I don't know how, understand how God does a lot of things. I don't understand how when we're praying, God's listening to me. I don't know who you think he's listening to. I think he's listening to me. On a Sunday morning when millions of believers are praying and say, Jesus, they get his utmost undivided attention. How does he do that when everybody's praying and you think he's listening to you? No, you deceive. He was listening to me. Is he listening to you? Undividedly? You have his complete attention? How does he do that? I don't know. I don't know. He's God. And you can't fit God inside your brain. He's bigger than your head. Don't limit God to your understanding. Trust Him with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. That's why I believe we need to seize the strength of the season that we're in and the days that we're in. And that's why He said, go home, send your sons out to gather vessels and shut the door. You shut the door because you have distractions, double-mindedness, and doubt, and the opinions of people who want to tell you what you think you should do, or whether this works or not, or get them in agreement. No, no, if you've got a word from God, don't go around, try to see how many people are going to agree with you when you know you've got a direct word from God. Because what he's telling you to do looks ridiculous. Her boys bring in all these containers. She's got one container and the first one she's going to pour in is bigger than what she's starting with. Well, this is ridiculous. This is bigger than this. And then there's more. Now, first time you ask a neighbor comes in and says, hey, Leah, what are you doing in there? Well, I got a problem and, and, and I got a word. They come in and say, what what are you doing with all these containers? I'm going to fill them up. With what? With this. Really? Yeah, because I I was told that if I pour in this one, then after I fill that one, then I can pour into this one. Well, how are you going to do that when that's smaller than the first one? And and you got this one. That one down there is my pot. That's the biggest pot I got. And, And that's number 10. And, and you could put 15 of yours in. That's ridiculous. Give me my pot back. I am not going to be a part of such foolishness. <laughs> Next thing you know, you got another neighbor at the door. So-and-so told me what you're doing in here. Who told you that? Rusty. What, what kind of church do you go to anyway? That's the most ridiculous thing I heard. Well, you know, I'm in debt, so... He was sharing the word with me that that says, you know, when you're in debt, you need to sow. No, when you're in debt, keep your money. No, you need to save everything you can. No, he was saying that, you know, that that as we sow, that that God will bless our seed. And and I heard a message on tithing, so I'm going to give 10% of my... Yeah, but if you don't have enough to pay your bills with 100% of your check, how are you going to pay your bills with nine? That's that's the goofiest stuff. Nah, I wouldn't go to that church. Well, the longer you leave your door open to the opinions of people, 
That's why you shut the door. You get out that double-mindedness. You get out that, that recognition or that approval of man before you act. You don't need the approval of man before you act. You need a conviction in your own heart of God's Word, the leading of His Spirit, and you shut everything else out. And beyond the reasonings of your mind, Lord, this looks crazy, but I got a word from the prophet. My, my husband worked for him. I just can't go here. I'm going to believe what he said. And so I'm going to start pouring. And let me tell you, after she filled that first one, it's like, oh, yeah. That's, I think that's what she said. Oh, yeah. She hit the second one. She went, oh, yeah. And then I think the oil of Joel got upon her. And she started going. So she's kind of, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Come on, baby. Yeah. Oh, filled it. Filled it, filled it. Oh, don't fail me now. Filled it, filled it. Gets to the last one, filled it. Boys, go get some more. Mama, there ain't no more. No, 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 I don't care. Go make some jars. (laughs) Filled it. And when there was nothing else for it to pour into, it ceased. See, too many times we're waiting on our needs to be met to get poured into when your needs are going to be met because you begin to pour out. See, there's a key right there. God is wanting to teach us you got to pour out, you got to give out, you got to sing out, you got to praise out, you got to worship out, you got to pray it out. No, somebody pray for me. No, you pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. He didn't say, are you suffering? Oh, man, I'm suffering. Can you pray for me? Can you? No, no. You suffering? Yeah, yeah. Pray. Yeah, but I'm suffering. Yeah. So pray. No, no, no. I want someone else to pray for me. No. You're suffering. You pray. You pray. See, we always want everybody else to pray for us. So we're always waiting for someone to pour into us. We're always waiting for someone to give to us. Our needs are not going to be met because we just get poured into, given to, and prayed for. Our needs get met because we worship, we pray, we give, we pour. That's where the multiplication begins to come. And we don't understand it. We look at what we have. We look at who we are. We look at what he wants us to do. We look at the size of the need and we look at what we have and we go, it doesn't make sense. Yes, but do I have a word? Do I have a direction from the spirit of God? Do I have a prophetic word, a written word or a leading of the Holy Ghost? And if I do sing, pray, even when Jesus says, listen, when you pray, go into your closet, shut the door. Why do you shut the door? You don't need the opinions of man. You don't need the approval of man. You don't need any distractions of man. Go inside and behind the door. What you do behind the door privately, he rewards you openly. When Shadi gave birth to our son, Ryan, I don't know what happened financially, but everybody forgot who we were. My son was in the hospital and, and, and 80% of our support never came in that month. So my wife and baby boy were being held hostage. Yeah, I mean, you don't pay the bill, you don't get out. Yeah, they hold you hostage. You want your wife, you want your kid, show us the money. And until you can pay, not only do you have a bill, but it keeps increasing. Yeah, we want our money and we're keeping your kid and your wife until we get it. I never felt so low as a man in my life. I felt as a failure, as a husband and a father. I'm walking with my three-year-old daughter, couldn't even afford the taxis to get to the hospital from the place where we were staying. I told Sean, he said, sweetheart, I don't know what happened, but the money that came in, what money did come in, we had to send it to the school and everything else that was going on because we have a responsibility, these people on staff and these students. I don't know what to do, baby, but I got no money. I felt like a failure as a man. That's probably one of the lowest points of my life. I let my wife down. I got a newborn son down. Trying, my, Thank God Brittany was three years old. She didn't know what was going on. She just wants to know why her little baby brother can't come home. Shawty tells me, honey, go home, close the door, and dance before the Lord. I said, say what? <laughs> go home, 
close the door and dance before the Lord in worship. So I did. I went home, closed the door, and this was my dance. I got no joy. I feel like a fool. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed as a man, as a provider, as a husband, as a dad. And boy, let me tell you, did the devil start singing a chorus. And she wants me to dance. Dance. There was no dance in the feet. That was it. That's not even a good shuffle. <laughs> but when I got past my head, when I got past the looking at it in the natural, and I begin to focus on him and his goodness and his greatness and his glory and all that he is and all that he's done, and I got my eyes off Shawnee, got my eyes off my, my newborn son, got my eyes off my own weaknesses, failures, and embarrassments, and shame, and, and all that junk that was trying to drown me, and I just got them on Jesus. Then I could get happy. Then I started rejoicing. Then I started dancing around the room, and I got free, and that fear got off me. Called her up, and I said, everything's going to be okay. I don't know how. I said, but everything's going to be okay. She goes, go back in the room and dance some more. Now, the first time she told me, I said, well, that's easy for you. Went back in there and just began to worship and dance and pray and rejoice. And next day, I get a phone call for a pastor in, 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 the, in the city. He had to go out and he goes, listen, I hear you're in Manila. I said, yeah, I'm here. He said, listen, I have something that's uh, emerging that's come up. I got to leave the country. Can you please preach for me on Sunday at six services in his church? And he says, is your schedule free? I went, let me see. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I preached for him on Sunday. He says, he goes, I don't know why I'm doing this. I just feel led. He says, you know, we give honorariums, but he says, I just so appreciate you coming in at the last minute. We're going to take an offering after every service just for you. I said, well, that's, that's kind. Never told him what was going on. By the end of the day, when they gave me that offering, I had enough money the next day to go in and get Shadi and my son. I'd, I could redeem my, my wife and my son. So Ryan was made in the Philippines, born in the Philippines, and paid for by Filipinos. Some of you need to go home and shut the door. Close off the door. Oh, that husband of mine, close the door, quit looking at him. Yeah. All them kids of mine. Oh, that wife, I didn't say slam the door on your husband. Oh, that wife of mine, close the door to where the only thing you see is what God has said. The only thing that you hear is not the opinion of man, not the approval of man, not the recognition of man, because you're not doing it to be seen by man. You're doing it by the direction of the Word and the Spirit. And what you have minimized and seen as insignificant, you allow God to come in and show you, this is who I am in your life. When you close the door and pray, when you shut the door and pour, when you shut the door and forgive, when you shut the door and dance and worship, when no one is aware, then you get seen by God. It's not done for recognition, awareness, or approval. It's done by obedience to the word and the leading of his spirit. Don't block your way to a blessing. Shut the door on the drama, on people's opinion. Now listen, when you've got a word to do this, it'll work. When you don't, it won't. One of your neighbors comes out and says, man, I got some need. I'm going to do what my neighbor did. Well, you can go gather all the vessels you want, honey. And when you begin to pour, it's not going to multiply. Why? You don't have a word by the, by the Spirit of God. You don't have a prophetic word. You don't have a written word. You don't have the leading of the Spirit. Well, I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to go fishing and open up a fish and, and, and pull out the coins. And no, that's what Peter told Jesus. I mean, what Jesus told Peter, if Jesus didn't tell you, go fishing, open up his mouth, pull out a coin, pay a tax, that ain't going to work for you. I got somebody with eye problems. I'm going to get some dirt, spit in it, make some mud and stick it on his eyes. 
tell them to go wash it off. But if the Spirit of God doesn't tell you to do that, all you're going to do is bring infection to a blind man's eyes. <laughs> you got to have a word. You got to have a word. You got to have something that you can take home. Amen. What you minimize, you won't, you won't step out on. You won't do it. You won't act. Whether it's yourself or what God has put into your hand. You won't pour. You won't give. You won't pray. You won't speak. You won't touch. You won't forgive. And you will stifle the increase in the miracle that God intends for you. Because you're more focused on your weakness and your smallness and you miss his power and his greatness. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, but why, why do I bother pouring out and giving my best when nobody appreciates me? Well, who do you pour for anyway? What I do, I do it as unto the Lord. Amen. Come on up, baby. Rusty said, we're here till dinner anyway, so, you know, he's... I want to tell my turkey story, okay? Your turkey story? Yeah, this is a great story. All right. Um, I'm not the turkey. No, no. Oh, no. But whatever you have, right? And there's this revelation God has given us to just sow, right? So we sow. We bless people's lives. Well, I'm going to the grocery store. This has happened like 20 seven years ago, and I said, I want to bless somebody. So wherever I go, I just say, Lord, show me who I can bless. So we're in the grocery store, and I see this woman. And I, Paul, I'm gonna, can I have some money? And she She's got a couple money. kids. And Yeah, and so I walked up to her. It's a little risky to do. You don't know if people are going to say, hey, get out of my face. You know, I don't want you blessing me. And so I walked up to her. I said, ma'am, I'm a, I'm a minister. I love Jesus. And people are always blessing me. Can I bless you? She started to cry. I gave her money, and I was just so happy. So we're getting ready to leave the grocery store, and she goes, thank you. I'm going to go buy a turkey. I think it must be around Thanksgiving time. And she was crying in the store, and it was just wonderful. Not her crying, but that she could buy a turkey. Okay. So we see her in the checkout line buying her turkey, and he goes, hey, let's, just go, let's go get a turkey also. So we go get a turkey. Now we're in the checkout line, but we didn't have any money because we just gave it all to this woman. <laughs> to get her turkey. So we had to put our turkey back. It was kind of embarrassing, but that's okay. So then we come back to the Philippines like a few months later, and for the 27 years, until now, a woman in Manila. Twice a year. Twice a year, does not know this story. She sends us two turkeys a year for, for 27 years. So you sow a turkey, or you bless somebody, and you don't know. It took a, you know, a few months. You don't judge when it comes, but as you sow, it will come back. It, it's so thrilling. 27 years of turkeys, you know, from sowing one turkey. Well, that's my turkey story. Yeah. Okay. So make sure you sow a turkey. Don't act like a turkey. What is it that the Spirit of God has asked you to do that you've looked at, and, and, and I need to finish, and uh, that you have looked at and say, well, that seems so small. It seems so ridiculous. So you minimized it. You've looked at it as so insignificant. Listen, folks, I, I look at what God has done with us. And in the natural, I have nothing that qualifies me for the ministry. Nothing. And I look at what he's done in the Philippines and and six other churches, six, six other nations in Asia. I just tell Pastor Rusty that uh, before the end of the year, we'll have new, a new life church in Vietnam. And, and, and the churches just continue to grow and multiply. And um, we got one pastor in Tondo, uh, which is the, the worst, nastiest place in Manila. It's one of the top three most densely populated places in the world. And the average sized church there is 50, 60 people. He's got 1,200 people. In just the worst, most harshest place you could be. And we're working on renovating a school. And uh, once we get that, that school renovated, his church is going to go 2,000, 3,000. 
and, and I mean, he's, he goes, I weep when I watch my people give. He goes, I see some of my people coming up and giving. He goes, I know they stole it. He says, man, I... He goes, he goes, I got thieves and snatchers that are tithing and honoring God. He goes, but pastor, I'm working on them. They're in church and hearing the word, but you know, they want to give. And if they got to go steal something to give, they're going to do it. And he goes, you know, we'll, we'll get their minds renewed. But, and so I look at what God is, is doing in these churches and around the nations and, and other countries. And I look at what he's done with us and I was like that mustard seed. I felt like David that was left out in the field. Almost nobody called him in. Small and insignificant. No talent, no ability. The only instrument I play is the iPad. <laughs> and when it comes to IT stuff and, and computers, man, if it wasn't for my IT people, or somebody help me figure this out. And they know when they come in to help Pastor Paul. Help them, just don't make him feel stupid, you know? It's so simple. And they go, but pastor, you, you do this and this. And I'm going, well, that was simple. And they look at me like, yeah. <laughs> but God chooses the foolish things, the insignificant, what other people have minimized, wouldn't even look at. And he goes, I'm going to use that. But a lot of times in your life, the simplicity of you going home, closing the door, you need to get that unforgiveness out of your heart. You need to forgive that person. You need to take that gift I've been talking to you about and sow it into the building. Or that person, every time you see him on a Sunday, I, I want you to bless him. Lord, I, ain't, I got but five bucks. I don't care if it's two. Do something. One last story and I'll stop. I promise. My second year of Rhema, woke up one day and the Lord said, put some money in an envelope and take it to uh, school with you. I want you... Bless somebody with it. I didn't have a lot of money with me, but I did have a, a $20 bill. He said, put that 20 in there. Put it in an envelope, take it, take it to school. I thought, 20 bucks, that's kind of small, insignificant. And uh, no, it was my first year, first year of Rhema. First year Bible school students don't have a lot of money. No. He said, I'll show you who to give it to. So f first class, second class, Walking down the hall, the third class, and I see this guy come walking by. He goes, he's the one. Give it to him. I, so I pulled him aside. I said, hey, bro, let me, uh, I brought this envelope to school today, and the Lord told me to, to give it to somebody. He showed me who it was. When I saw you, you're the one. He goes, man, you have no idea. You are an answer to prayer. My wife and I, we prayed this morning, and, and we, man, it's... We don't get paid until tomorrow. I said, well, wait, calm down. It's not a lot of money. It's not hundred. Don't, don't go off on this glorious celebration here. <laughs> like uh, you just got enough money to pay your rent and your uh, tuition. I said, man, it's just 20 bucks. He goes, that's what we asked for. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why'd you cut God so short, man? <laughs> He might have spoke to somebody else who had a hundred or something. He said, we pulled into the parking lot. We don't have enough gas to make it to work. Get something to eat, make it home, and then back tomorrow and then get paid. We need at least $20. I said, well, I'm your man. Here, here you go, man. Praise God. And uh, we became friends throughout that year and the next year. He took me street witnessing with him. We'd go to the north side of Tulsa. This guy, he would take me out. We would pe preach to pimps and prostitutes. We'd go into bars and preach. We'd go into gay bars. God anointed me to play pool in a, in a gay bar. And Shotty was there too. And, uh, and uh, I even asked Dad Hagen one time. I said, of course, I almost called the people where it was with Donna Marlene Ostrom. We're having dinner with him. And I said, Dad... Do you think God would anoint you to play pool in a gay bar? And the people we were sitting with looked at me like, are you stupid? You don't ask the prophet such a stupid question. I said, but dad, I was witnessing, I was preaching, I was playing pool. Man, I could not lose. And as long as you're playing pool, you can talk. And it was a black gay bar. 
I stuck out. Let me tell you, I stuck out. <laughs> North side of Tulsa, black gay bar. Long as I'm playing pool, I can talk. I could not lose. I had angels knocking balls in, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> there were 20 quarters lined up on the side of the pool, on the side of the pool table. Somebody beat this fool. I couldn't be beat. I could have played pool blindfolded. Never lost. Never lost. It was Pastor Jeff Perry. He's got a wonderful church in St. Louis, Missouri that I gave the $20 to, not the guys playing pool with. No. And uh, I have preached in his church almost every year for I don't know how many years now. And let me tell you, that seed of $20, that small, insignificant, well, this is kind of ridiculous. What is this going to do? But what it's done is it brought together relationship and a friendship. And now we are dear friends. I've known him since 1978. That's a long time. We're getting older. Small, insignificant. What is it that God's told you? I'm I'm preaching this message for a reason and a purpose, not because i got nothing else to preach. My only purpose here is is to help Pastor Reggie and Leah and you. You Reggie. Reggie. Rusty. Sorry. I hope this helps Reggie. I don't know how it's going to help Reggie. I got two friends. They both start with R. So, yeah. Rusty. You know, my, our desire when we come, we just want to help. We want to help you. What is it that God's asked you to do? What has he not asked you to do? What has he told you to do? Where have you gone to get help? And he said, okay, do this. And you're going, really? Like that's going to make a difference? Yeah, it will. A small act of forgiveness, obedience. God said, I, listen, I, I want you to show up and I want you to help serve in the church. But I've only got so much time. I don't care. Show up and serve. You know that offering that you had? Yeah, I want you to give that. You know that person over there you're irritated with? Why don't you go buy him a book? Bless him. On character. Don't add to my message. How many of you would say right now that there are some things that God's directed you to do? Come on, be honest. Come on, lift your hands a little higher. So, I mean... Little things he's asked you to do or say, and because it seems so small or insignificant or you've minimized it, you've minimized the value and the importance that could possibly come out of it, don't limit that. Don't miss a miracle because you think what I need is far greater than this action, and this action seems kind of ridiculous. Step out and do it. Obey God. Close the door and pray. Get in, close the door, dance and worship. Forgive that person. Give that offering. Whatever needs to be poured out, whatever needs to be given out. Let me tell you, there is a miracle. There is a multiplication. There is an increase that God is wanting to bring into your personal life, into your emotional life, into your physical life, into your marriage, the relationship with your kids and your family, the purpose of God and the future of your life. There is such an increase that He wants to come, but quit looking for the spectacular. Because the spectacular a lot of times will be found in something that can so easily be missed. Let me tell you, filling up every one of those uh, jars of oil was spectacular. But the instigation of it was mild and insignificant and could have been minimized. And sometimes we miss the supernatural and we miss something incredible that God wants to do. Because we overlook the small beginning of obedience and follow through that he's given us. And it's not impossible. It's very, very simple. But you're going to have to get out of your head, close the door, and pour. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every man and woman in here today. For every situation in their life. What you have for them. And some adjustments that need to be made. These are not major, major things. But they're leadings. There's unctions. There's things they've heard their pastor say. And day by day, the Spirit of God keeps bringing it to remembrance. 
Help them not through their conscience to bury that. It is the very key that will lift them up to the place they need to be. Remove the heaviness or the guilt or the shame. Stop regret from influencing their life. Bring a fresh liberty. Bring that increase. Restore that joy. You've already spoken. I take authority over the lies of the enemy and the distractions or the words from other people that have looked to distract them and help to minimize the faithfulness, obedience to the leading of your word or your spirit. And I thank you for changes, 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 adjustments in hearts and minds that, that take place even today by the end of this day and throughout this week where people begin to see things begin to break loose. They begin to see different things manifesting in areas of their life, physically, mentally, emotionally, their joy, their vision to see, their ability to hear, their love for one another, a restoration of relationships. Help us not to minimize or look at it insignificant in the action or word you lead us to do and certainly not who you have made us. We see ourselves as valuable and loved and received by you. So I thank you for making that real in every heart here today in Island Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.